Goodbye. Hello, Heisman. 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. season the regular season finale aka the best week in football also known as rivalry week gentlemen it has arrived the season it's it's gone by in the blink of an eye and i'm excited for rivalry uh, rivalry week to be here for us to have some of these gigantic matchups uh, that we've waited all year long for michigan ohio state so many games to preview here on the three technique a college football podcast at the intersection of the x's and o's and the Jimmys and the Joes. I'm Mitch Mason with Trey Reeves, Garrett Turney. Uh, once again, guys, camera is not working. If you're watching on YouTube, enjoy my Heisman pose because that's what Garrett went with for <laughs> the first episode. Great Photoshop job, by the way. I think that looked way better than I expected it to. Um, yes, technical difficulties get the best of me once again, but happy to be here with you guys. And uh, hey, we made it to the end of the regular season. How about that? Yeah, I'm a little bummed that we're already at the end of the regular season. It always seems like the long, dark offseason lasts way longer than it should. And these 13 or 14 weeks of the regular season just go by super quickly. So all good things must come to an end. Season one of the three technique is uh, about to wrap up, but we still got plenty of big games, big conference championships, and a bunch of fun stuff planned for the bowl season. So plenty to stick around for, plenty to stick around for in the offseason as well. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, to me, this feels like every year college football season is like a fireworks show on the 4th of July. You know, you have to wait forever. The sun goes down. You know, it's coming up. They get the show started. This is like that moment when the Lee Greenwood songs go in and, you know, we're about to hit the big finale, but we're not quite there yet. And so we're, we're getting ready to fire off all the fireworks pretty soon with bowl season and everything else. But we still get that big, nice moment, the rivalry week, all these huge games that matter, even if these teams aren't necessarily playoff contenders. You know, you're talking like Egg Bowl, Iron Bowl, things like that. Just really excited to get into some of these rivalry games and uh, break it down with you guys. That was yeah. very wholesome. That was a very wholesome comparison. Garrett. It was. I just want to shout there you out for that. That's what we're doing. I don't know that Lee Greenwood has been referenced on any other football podcast. So. This is what you come here for. That's right. Uh, how about we get <laughs> unique? Um, if you aren't already following us, please head on over to at 3TechPod on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, we are ending this season one strong. Obviously, we've got a lot of postseason content coming up, and we'd love for you to be along for the ride. Uh, you can find us on Apple, Spotify, or YouTube, depending on where you're listening and or watching us right now. We're on all the major platforms, and we would love for you to give us a like on YouTube, uh, rate us on Apple, or Spotify. It helps us continue to grow the show and push towards year two, season two uh, in the future. We're planning on sticking around, doing a bunch of off-season content as well, and we're really excited. But guys, season's not over yet. We get one final crescendo here in Rivalry Week before conference championships launch up, and we've got just so many with big-time postseason implications on the line, none more so than the game that we have been billing as the one-game season all year long. It is the definitive headliner 
the big game, number three, Michigan, at number two, Ohio State, at the Horseshoe. The Buckeyes are seven and a half point favorites, and this is a Saturday kick, 11 a.m. on Fox. Finally, the big noon kickoff is actually a big noon kickoff. Uh, so shout out to Fox. You get one right a year. But guys, we've been talking about this, previewing it, leading up to this game for 12 straight weeks now. It's finally time to settle this on the field. Both teams 11-0. and 0. Both teams feel like they're playing a play-in game for the college football playoff. With the state of the shadow realm and the Big Ten West, it really feels like all but certain that the winner goes undefeated and waltzes into the college football playoff. I'll turn it over to you guys. I, I think I know which way you're leaning here, but with Ohio State 7.5-point favorites, which side of this rivalry game are you guys falling on? Well, I'll start off with my pick. I'm going to pick Michigan to cover the seven and a half point spread because I think seven and a half points um, is just way too many to give a good, very, very good borderline elite Michigan team. And look, we, we all know the story. We all know the history of this rivalry. It's been very one-sided up until last year. And it's been even more one-sided in Columbus where Michigan has not won outright since the year 2000. So I, it, it's just really difficult for me to pick them to win completely outright. I do think they cover the spread and Ohio State wins a close one outright. I, guys, I think we get a game for the ages this week. And so often these big games don't live up to the hype. So often that they just, I don't know, so, something happens, there's an injury, and we'll get to the Blake Corum subplot of this here in just a second. But there's an injury or just one team completely doesn't show up ready to play. and it doesn't live up to the hype, and I just really don't think that's what we get this weekend. We talked ad nauseum on the recap show about Blake Quorum's injury against Illinois, how they probably kept him out of the game just to save him for this one. It looked like he probably could have given it a go, judging by the fact that he went out there. But I'm operating under the assumption that he's going to get enough rest this week, and he's going to be out there ready to go on Saturday. And I don't know if you guys have heard anything contrary. Feel free to jump in and stop me before I go down that rabbit hole. But that's what I'm rolling with. And I think that that's going to be a big problem for Ohio State because they've been suspect on defense at times. Look no further than their matchup against Maryland last weekend. And Blake Corum can hurt you with his legs. He can hurt you on the ground. And he also keeps that Ohio State offense off the field when he's moving the change, when he's picking up big chunk plays, he averaged 14 and a half yards per carry last week, last year against the Buckeyes. That's a huge number. And that's what Michigan is going to try to do. If he's ready to go, if he's healthy, if he's even partially healthy and out there, he's going to be the offense. And it's a good offense when you have him leading the way. Now, the reason I'm picking Ohio state to win this game is I think they just have too many weapons for Michigan to cover. Michigan is an elite defense. Michigan has proven that they can shut down Ohio State before. They did it last year. But I just think that at home, in the with the crowd behind them, all, the, all things else being equal, I think Ohio State has a slightly better offense and their deficiency on defense is a little bit less of a deficiency than Michigan's kind of one-dimensional offense at this point. So I'm going to take Ohio State to win a close one. I don't think that Ohio State's going to look at this one as like a perfect game or a pretty game by their standards. It's probably going to be in the upper 20s or lower 30s in the score and maybe even the temperature on the field as well. But yeah, I'm going to take Ohio State to win a close one and Michigan to cover the spread. Yeah, no, I mean, we've been talking about this. This is going to be game of the year. I think that this is going to be 
probably for your viewing money, the best game that you can watch all year long. Um, I'm really excited about this, despite the fact that, yeah, like you were saying, there's some uncertainty, I think, on both sides. You know, on on the Michigan side with the Blake Corum thing, I don't know if you guys saw this, but he was out there giving out turkeys on the ice and snow, you know, walking with people and everything like that. He seemed to be just fine being able to walk around and get out there and do that. He was also using his own NIL money to do that. I think he gave out something like 300 turkeys with his own money. So first off, great for him. Excellent young man. Good job. Um, But at the same time, I I do think he's probably healthy enough to be doing that. If there was any concern about the knee, they wouldn't have had him out there on the ice in the snow, you know, walking around on that with a chance to slip and fall and, you know, maybe ruin things. So I think he's going to be able to go. I'm not 100 percent on that one. I think they had their, you know, sort of press conferences. And I don't think either coach said anything about injury updates. So um, we're not going to probably get an answer on that until the game. Um, on the Ohio State side, I think they're going to have enough pieces ready to go to call this a full-strength team. Um, and so breaking it down, I think, on Ohio State side on offense, the key to this game for them is going to be Michigan pass rush and being able to keep them off of C.J. Stroud. Stroud struggles under pressure. We've talked about this you know, for several weeks. They have problems on offense when Stroud gets off schedule, when he gets you know, in a position where he has to make decisions on the fly, you know, when he's operating under the offense's framework, it's good. Um, but when he has to get off schedule, there's problems. Last year, Michigan pressured him on 47% of his dropbacks. We saw what happened. The offense struggled. They weren't able to get much going on. You know, I, I think for the Buckeyes, the number one thing they have to do is, is get that to come down. That They're probably going to have to find ways to get the quick pass incorporated, find ways to kind of hit guys in, in stride and get the ball out of his hands quickly. I don't think they're going to get much on the ground at all. They haven't been a very good running team in the last part of the season, and Michigan's number two in rushing yardage allowed at 79.5 per game. Uh, shout out to James Madison, actually, number one. When I was looking that stat up, 78 for them. So good job to the James Madison squad out there. But um, I don't think they get much on the ground in this game. So they're going to have to get it done in the passing game and they have to get the pressure off Stroud on the Michigan side. Blake Corum has to be good. He has to be the superstar. Um, he's currently sitting at 1,537 total yards, 19 touchdowns. He probably needs to finish this season with 22 touchdowns, getting three in this game. If they want to win. <clears throat> um, sorry about that. He has to be the main source of the points for the Wolverines. Ohio State, they've been susceptible to the run. They've been susceptible to, you know, some of the run game issues that they've had throughout the season. Um, They've given up 107 yards per game. I think if they get out of here with 107 yards given up, they feel really good about that and blow the doors off Michigan. They're going to need a lot more. And if they gave up only 107. Yeah, that would be huge for them. I, I don't think that's the number, but if they only give up 107, I think that's big for them. Um, I think the formula to win on the road anytime you're a road team is to do one of two things. You either have to have explosive plays that takes the crowd out of it and kind of shell shocks you, or you just have to sit on the ball and take the air out of the crowd. And that's hard to do in a rivalry game, right? When the crowd cares, when this is the big game, this is the one everyone's paying attention to. It's really hard to get the crowd out of it. If you ask me, this is probably coming down to a last minute drive from Ohio state. I think they're going to be able to, you know, score some points through the game, but they're not going to put up the numbers they have. Michigan's going to be able to pin their ears back and rush a little bit and get after him, probably ruin a couple drives. And I think at the at the end of the day, you'll see a late lead from Michigan, 
you know, maybe a two, three point lead, something like that, where they have to run down the field and do it. And I think Michigan's defense makes just one or two more plays on that last drive to get them the dub. I'm going to take Michigan outright. So, of course, I'm going to take them with the plus seven and a half. They are my lucky dog of the week. And I think that they finished this season undefeated for the second year uh, here. This would be really good for them to be able to get back into the playoffs and back into the championship for the second year in a row. I'm Michigan taking... State Spartan fans are about to cuss you out in the comments for that. No, 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 not not undefeated for the second year in a row. Back to the championship second year in a row. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's saying. that's what I'm saying. To be clear, <laughs> I'm going to take Michigan plus seven and a half as well. I think both offenses are very one dimensional right now. Ohio State can't run the ball. They're not healthy in their backfield. Michigan can't really throw the ball downfield, as we talked about on our week two recap show. As long as Blake Corum is healthy, I think he's the X factor because, as I've talked about for several weeks now, Michigan's pass rush has been better than expected this year, and that's the kryptonite for C.J. Stroud. He looks wonderfully average when he does not have a clean pocket. So I know it's on the road. He's going to be at home, and Michigan is the dog with their backs against the wall right now. But to me, this feels almost a little bit like Oregon coming in like they did last year. Now, they don't have the same game-breaking pass rusher like Kayvon Thibodeau. They don't have uh, an all-star linebacker like Justin Flo, who actually didn't even get to play in that game. But to me, the, the pieces are there, the ingredients are there, where Michigan goes in at, at least keeps it close. Almost eight points, I think, is a little bit too much. I think it's putting a little too much stock in the home crowd effect um, Michigan has played big games. They, they know what, what it's going to be like in, in this environment. So give me Michigan plus the seven and a half. If I had to just pick it on the money line, I'd probably also pick Michigan, but I don't necessarily have the same persuasion that Garrett does uh, just because everything that I've looked at, all the analysis that I put into this is truly a coin flip, right? Like if Ohio State's offensive line holds up, then I don't think Michigan has a chance because C.J. Stroud is special and will outscore Michigan if given that clean pocket. We'll wait and see. That's the beauty of a rivalry game, though. I think you've got to expect a one-possession game, especially with so much on the line in this one. And look, Ohio State, they want revenge from last year. Michigan, they would love to press that advantage and continue to rule in the Big Ten and have another chance at a college football playoff. So without a doubt, game of the week here. Yeah, and I mean, it sounds cliche. It sounds like we're talking from the 1970s, but it really is going to be who can more consistently get the yards they need on the ground to supplement their air attack. Because Ohio State's going to have the better passing attack. But last year, what they ran into is when they needed three yards, when they needed two or even one yard, they couldn't get it. They only ran for, I, I had the stat pulled up a second ago. They only ran for 64 yards last year against the Wolverines. And you're right. Aiden Hutchinson isn't walking through that door, but it's still a formidable defense. That's going to cause a lot of problems for a backfield. That's not healthy. All right. Well, let's move on to Notre Dame at USC. I tell you what, this game has not meant a lot in the last several years, but in 2022, USC is set to try and make a college football playoff run. They have one loss. They would like to get into uh, the Pac-12 championship game and make some noise there and ultimately seal their resume against an Oregon, against a Washington, whoever comes out as that number two seed in the Conference of Champions. USC five-point favorites on Saturday night on ABC. First time that USC, if they can get the job done that they will have beaten Notre Dame since 2016. Does USC break that streak this year, guys? 
I think they do, but I'm really concerned about this Notre Dame defensive unit taking away primarily the USC rushing attack because for all the accolades Caleb Williams has gotten, and I feel like I sound like a broken record with the same thing talking about Ohio State, but it's still a big deal even in 2022 with high-octane offenses to be able to get the yards you need on the ground when you need them. And Caleb Williams is one of the Heisman favorites for, the re- for a reason, but he's been helped a lot by a really good rushing game and a good rushing attack that has been kind of feasting on Pac-12 defensive lines that really aren't up to the same caliber that Notre Dame is. And what they're going to see this week is a huge step up in competition, especially in the front seven. So whether or not Notre Dame can keep up with the USC receivers, that's definitely a legit question for the Fighting Irish and probably the reason why I would pick USC to win this game. But I really don't think it's going to be easy for them. I think that it's going to be by their standards, a very ugly win compared to what they've been doing the last few weeks where they've been kind of just naming their score on offense and then letting their defense either make one or two stops or really just uh, run out the clock and uh, give up scores in garbage time. So I'm interested to see how the defense of USC responds in a closer game. I'm interested to see how Caleb Williams responds when he has to make those plays. He can't rely on the ground game, and he has a defense that's going to be down his throat a little bit more uh, and breathing down his neck a little bit more. So Marcus Freeman and the Fighting Irish, they definitely are looking for one more signature win. It's been a great turnaround for them this year. They'd love to keep their rivals out of the college football playoff, but in an ugly one, by their standards at least, I think I trust USC to cover this five-point spread. Get that first win against Notre Dame since 2016. It's probably a late touchdown, though. I don't think it's going to be one where, you know, they dominate by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, no, and that would be huge for them to get that win. You know, obviously we were all really impressed by USC and their offense, you know, in this last game versus UCLA. I don't know that they quite get to that level in this game just because, you know, kind of like you were saying, I think Notre Dame's defense just won't let them quite get to that level. Um, Look, Caleb Williams, he's continuing to expand on this late season, you know, Heisman campaign. I think this is the week he gets his Heisman moment, though. Um, If you're a fan of the Irish, if you want to keep this one close, I think, you know, you need to run the ball well. You need to be able to keep, you know, Caleb Williams on the sideline for this one. Um, And I do think they'll have some early success with this. I don't think this will be a blowout game, um, at least in the first half or first three quarters. I think that they will keep this to probably about a seven-point margin through the game, just kind of answering back and forth, maybe having to kick field goals, coming up with a couple of plays here and there. I just think at some point they're going to get down and they're going to get forced into a shootout with the Trojans, and that's not where they want to be, right? As soon as they get down, you know, 10 points, 13 points, 14 points, something like that, they're going to have to start to kind of air it out and and force it down the field, which will kind of get them off schedule from what they want to do. If they can stay disciplined and just commit to that process, they can keep it close. I don't think that that's going to happen. I don't think the Trojan defense is going to be a difference here at all, obviously, but I also don't expect consistent production out of the Irish offense. So I'm going to take USC minus five. This was almost my lock of the week. I feel really comfortable with this for USC. I think this is a big moment for them to make a statement and to kind of continue that hope for a playoff spot. I won't lock it up because it's a rivalry game, but the better quarterback at home, uh, Notre Dame, it's it's not quite an Ohio State-Michigan recipe where I feel like Notre Dame has equal or better components on the other side of the football that would really stop or limit 
USC's offense. And so for that reason, give me Caleb Williams over Drew Pine. I just don't believe in the Notre Dame offense. I know they flashed every once in a while, but I do think despite USC's uh, inability to consistently stop an opponent from scoring points and racking up yards, they do force a good amount of turnovers. And Drew Pine is as mistake prone at the power five level as you're going to find under center. So I think USC eventually runs away with this. I think it's a good game for a little bit, but in the fourth quarter, maybe give me USC by 14, 17 points. Again, I'm not going to lock it up because I do think uh, history should be considered here. There's a reason why USC hasn't beaten Notre Dame in six years. At the same time, this is a different Trojans team, and I do like USC to go ahead and probably make a run to the college football playoff with a lot of momentum behind them. All right, let's go to group of five, de facto championship here. We've got Tulane at Cincinnati. The Bearcats are uh, two-point favorites. This is a Friday, Black Friday, 11 a.m. kick on ABC, which, just side note, Black Friday is one of the best sportsing days on the entire calendar. You've got all 100%. You've got all the Thanksgiving leftovers. You get to chill with family, friends, what have you, and just watch some really meaningful athletics going on. This is one of them. The winner hosts the American Championship game and has the inside track to reach Dallas and play for the Cotton Bowl, which unless you're pulling a Cincinnati from last year, is kind of the crown jewel of the group of five teams. So Tulane... They had a death grip on this claim until they got blown out by UCF. Now Cincinnati appears to be that favorite. Did Ben Bryant and the Bearcats get it done, or do you think the wave ends up rolling? So I think Tulane really needed to get back on the right page after last or last week against SMU when they nearly hung 60 after that loss. Um, and I think that that was really just, you know, we've said it a couple times on the pod, but a real net crack game for him just to kind of be able to get back in the rhythm of, you know, playing good offense and, and getting back to what they want to do. Um, Cincy having this game at home is a big deal. I, I don't know, maybe if Cincy wins this game, does Tulane just, you know, re-up their hotel reservations for the week and, and stick around in town? I don't know if that's what they'll do or if they'll go home for a couple of days. But um, I do think that's a big deal to have this game at Cincinnati for them. I just kind of think that Tulane's been the more resilient team this year. I trust them to put up big numbers more than I do for Cincy. Guys, don't forget, Tulane is still a top 20 defense when it comes to scoring. So I still think that they'll be able to kind of hold Cincy down a little bit. I don't think this is a, a huge win necessarily in terms of the point differential here, but I do think Tulane will beat them and kind of stay in control of this game for the majority of the game. So I'm going to take Tulane plus two here. Uh, and then they'll host this game and they'll actually go back home for the week. Yeah, I have a really similar analysis on this one. Tulane is probably the most balanced team at the G5 level, I would say. When you look at a solid offense, solid defense, I think they're the most balanced team at the G5 level across the entire country. So that defense is going to travel. Cincinnati has not been overly impressive on offense after losing all the talent that they did last year. And it's come up and bitten them a couple times uh, in their losses and even in the wins that they've had to eke out a little close against what you would think is inferior competition. So I'm all in on Tulane. I even after losing to UCF, that was kind of a one off game for me. And I think they get back on track this week. And I think they get to host that one, just like you said, and Garrett uh, down in New Orleans, which should be just a fantastic atmosphere. We'll talk about the playoff or the conference championship races a little bit later in the show, but that one, the tiebreaker in the American is fascinating. So who the winner of this game will play 
uh, could come down to a lot of different scenarios. But Tulane winning, um, I think, is probably the most thing, the thing I'm most sure about in the American right now. And that's not to say that I'm locking it up. That's not to say that they're definitely going to win or I'm going to guarantee anything, but I'm the most confident in Tulane getting it done this week. I love it. Let's make it three for three. I'll take Tulane plus the points as well for all the reasons that you guys mentioned. And yeah, the American and the Mac have been just two sources of pure entertainment for us this season. Uh, I'm excited to break that down in just a little bit as well. Quick little thing here before we move on. Tulane has four guys who have reached the 300 yard rushing mark. And I think that that's something that you should probably pay attention to. Well, they have just a system that's working here, not necessarily just one guy stepping up. Obviously, Ty J Spears being the guy, but to have four guys hit 300 yards rushing, something they're doing is working. And I think that that's a massive credit to them. And kind of like what you were saying, Trey, them just being a real balanced team. All right, so moving on to playoff contenders here. And listen, this slate of games is not necessarily the most competitive from a spread perspective, but I do think there are a lot of fascinating storylines going on. And let's start with uh, Georgia Tech at Georgia. Georgia is 35.5 point favorites. Now that seems incredibly disrespectful to a Georgia Tech team who is suddenly playing with a little bit of life here. Uh, They have got five wins on the season, which was more than any of us projected them to have uh, in the preseason. They do technically have a chance to go bowling, but of course they're going to have to knock off the top team in the land who is set on repeating as national champions. I'm loathe to take Georgia minus the points here um, because their offense just has not clicked on all cylinders consistently. That being said, though, every time I think, gosh, that Georgia Tech spread against, you know, the University of Georgia is just a massive number. There's probably no way they cover that, right? Georgia covers it and then some. So, unfortunately, it's not the Yellow Jackets here to go bowling quite yet. Give me the dogs minus the 35 and a half. That's so many points to give up. But every time I doubt the the dogs, they end up covering. Uh, Since Kirby Smart took over here, the final scores of this Georgia-Georgia Tech game. 38-7 38-7 in 2017, 45-21 in 2018, 52-7 in 2019, and 45-0 last year. So if you're picking Georgia Tech, you are not necessarily betting with history here, at least in the Kirby Smart era. Obviously, Georgia Tech has got risen up and beaten Georgia before, but that's multiple coaches ago now for the Yellow Jackets and a coach ago for the Bulldogs as well. So look, even if Georgia isn't firing all cylinder, on all cylinders on offense, they seem to always just get up and get really excited to just beat the snot out of Georgia Tech. So I'm going to roll with them this week. I think they're starting to hear the murmurs a little bit. They're starting to uh, see the other teams smell blood in the water, and I think they go out there and show that they're still the top dogs this week. Yeah, no, I don't think there's any real way that Georgia loses this game, obviously. But yeah, their offense hasn't really been very good this back half of the season. And they've played some you know, kind of stinker teams and still haven't put up massive totals. I think 35 and a half is a little bit too high. Got to remember, guys, Brent K wasn't coaching these Yellow Jackets when they were getting smoked. So well, let's let's give Brent K and his squad a little bit uh, or Brent Key rather to a little bit of uh, a little bit of credit here. So. Um, you have to think too. The Yellow Jackets—they played all right on this last part of the season. They've, you know, kind of jumped up and gotten a couple of teams. 
it should be a fun few minutes at the very least for this one. It should be a fun, I think, first quarter. Um, I think the Bulldogs will go up about 20 and then just kind of rest their starters. I, I don't think that they'll play the full starters the whole game. They have too much to lose, right? If they have a running back go down or Brock Bowers goes down or something like that, I mean, that could be your whole season, especially talking about LSU next weekend in Atlanta. I think they're just going to choose to kind of coast into Atlanta, win by about 20 or so, and not cover the spread. Obviously, I'm picking Georgia to win this game, but I think Georgia Tech will cover the spread. I, I just don't know... Georgia Tech doesn't have a quarterback. That's that's my biggest thing. Like if they had one guy on that offense that you could point to and go, yeah, okay, this is how they score some points. I think I'd, I, I'm I'm right there with you. Like I want to take Georgia Tech because this is an embarrassingly high number. But whew, uh, they they've played what four quarterbacks I believe total this season. Uh, they kind of are rotating between two or three of them actively. I know multiple quarterbacks have played the last several weeks. So. I don't know. Maybe Georgia, maybe you're right. Georgia's certainly not going to play the starters the entire game. I still even wonder if the backups on defense, though, which this is such a talented unit for Georgia. I wonder if they stop Georgia Tech from scoring anything. Uh, next game on this list, South Carolina Clemson. In the battle for the Palmetto State, this game got a lot more interesting after South Carolina whooped Tennessee this past week. I'm going to come out and say it, though. I think Spencer Rattler had a game of a lifetime, and I think he's due for a letdown this week. Clemson's pass rush is one of the best in the country, and if there is one thing that Spencer Rattler cannot deal with, it is pass rush. As soon as that pocket breaks down, which his offensive line has not been good this season, when he's running for his life, he just does not put up good numbers. So Clemson, I think they need another statement win. They, they need something to put their foot down and go, okay, here is why we should be in the college football playoff. They're already locked into the ACC championship game, but a lot of people have kind of forgotten about them, right? Since they had uh, those uh, or that early loss, they've slid off a lot of people's radars. And so I think they've got to go the extra mile to have a chance to get into the college football playoff. I think they do it against their in-state rival in South Carolina. The defense tears the Gamecocks up and Clemson goes into the ACC championship game with a lot of momentum. Yeah, I could definitely see that happening. That wouldn't be the most shocking outcome. Look, both of these teams just beat up the team they played last week. The only difference here is that one of them beat the formerly ranked number one volunteers and the other one beat just the abysmal Miami Hurricanes that are looking about as dead as Gaius Apelius Diocles right now. But, you know, if you've got the deep cuts on that one, you'll, you'll understand that joke. Uh, South Carolina, they're, they're maybe the trendy pick in terms of sort of having some momentum, feeling good, you know, good last part of the season. You know, bad Clemson, they've shown up a couple times, didn't look convincing against Syracuse, didn't look convincing in a lot of their games down this stretch. I just kind of think the upset magic is running out on this one. Gamecock sideline, you know, they're, they're going to keep it close. I think they ultimately come up short. I'm going to take South Carolina plus 14 and a half. I could see them losing by maybe a touchdown or so. South Carolina plus 14 and a half is my Stone Cold Lock of the Week. And Mitch, you're absolutely right. The Spencer Rattler does terrible under pressure, and that's what Clemson's going to throw at him. But are we confident that DJU can outscore a competent team by more than two touchdowns? Because at this <laughs> point, I'm not that confident. And now Clemson could get a defensive score. They could get a special team score. And that could really throw a wrench in the South Carolina cover train. But I don't know. South, South Carolina is just riding high right now. They're kind of on a revenge tour against a bunch of rivals that have 
really beaten up on them the last decade or so in Texas A&M, Tennessee, and maybe Clemson's next. I don't know. I don't know that I'm going to pick them out to win outright in Death Valley, but I certainly think that they cover that spread. Uh, that's fair. That's fair. Listen, uh, I'm not, not saying that the quarterback on the other side is anything special, and that does give me a lot of concern when I think about Clemson's offense. He is kind of uh, – Case study number one, why I don't think Clemson should be in the college football playoff. But whether that's fair or foul, I don't really know. Um, I agree. I think if they are going to cover, it's going to be thanks to Clemson's defense, not necessarily their offense helping them run away. So excited to see that game. Uh, That one, like I said, has some postseason implications, but certainly not a lock are the Clemson Tigers to be considered for that playoff as the fourth seed. Uh, the other game to consider here is Iowa State at TCU. And TCU, gosh, they keep doing it, right? We talked about this on the recap show. They are the cardiac kids right now out of Fort Worth. The Hypnotoad is in full swing. They've got Iowa State at home to finish out this season, and the Horn Frogs are 10-point favorites. T- Iowa State is an elite loser this year. They have found every single way possible to lose a one-score game. Uh, Just go look at some of the drive charts that they have on Twitter, Uh, and it's not even just against Texas Tech where you miss multiple field goals and go backwards on potentially game-winning drives and then punt inside plus territory. They have just had, I don't know if it's a streak of bad luck, I don't know if it's bad coaching, what have you, but they're an elite loser this year. I'm so tempted to take Iowa State plus 10 because they have a knack for losing one point or one possession games. But at the same time, you know, Trey, you talked about the, what was it? One, two, three Cancun teams uh, or Cancun on three. Like this has got to be a leading contender. Iowa State season is over. Nothing that they've done has worked this year. I kind of struggled to see where they get the motivation to go to Fort Worth and what's supposed to be a wet, cold, possibly thunderstormy week here in the Metroplex. I just don't know if the ingredients are truly there for them to muster a close game against TCU. So I'm going to go against my better judgment. And I'm going to say that TCU wins handily. Give me the Horn Frogs by 17 uh, in Fort Worth to finish off a 12-0 and season. I think the motivation for Iowa State is they can play spoiler and whether or not teams lean into that narrative, you never know because this is college football and we're talking about 18 to 22 year olds. And even when they have all the motivation in the world, you don't know what you're going to get from week to week. So I'm taking Iowa state plus 10, just because that's what both of these teams do. Iowa state loses one score games and Tennessee or TCU wins games by 10 points or less. They've won seven straight games by 10 points or less. And it doesn't matter who the opponent is. It could be, West Virginia, it could be Tech, it could be Texas, it could be, um, you know, like last week with Baylor, it could be one of the top teams in the conference. They're going to win by 10 points or less. And so I'm going to ride that streak to keep going and take Iowa State plus 10. But I think TCU wins in a situation that they're not necessarily sweating it out, if that makes sense. So TCU wins the game. I don't think it's ever really in doubt, but it's by less than 10 points. Well, we'll see how you square that circle. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, it, no, I think, like they, they, I they think feel in control of the game. They're getting what they want on the ground, but maybe they just fumble in the red zone a couple times or just oh, make okay, it okay. They, I see they, what you're like, saying. 
they like to they like to make things interesting for the other team before they rip their hearts that's off. fair i was like how do you get a close no doubter i'm kind of confused on that one um no i think tc is going to take care of business for my money this week tc minus 10 is the stone cold lock of the week Look, these guys are locked in. They know they have to be perfect to make it in. They know that even if they are perfect, that there's people that are going to be ready to jump them and look for excuses to leave them out. And so they know that they have to be convincing. They know they have to do what they need to do. Um, They're playing one of the worst teams in the entire conference. This team has not been very good all year. Um, I think the only concerns here really would be the health of Kendra Miller and Quentin Johnston. Um, if they can go, I think that this game could be as much as a 20 to 30 point win. Um, if they don't go, I still think they win by more than 10 here, getting a lot of contributions out of guys like Tay Barber who stepped up last week. So yeah, TCU minus 10, this one feels like it's going to be a great day at the Carter as we are just barreling towards a purple out at the big 12 championship game. I, I kind of go against the notion that Iowa State is one of the worst teams in the Big 12. I know I know okay. record wise, they're one of the unluckiest. Wise, you, you you are what you you are what your record says you are at this point in the season. I I get that, but at some point there's just like cursed teams, right? And I I think Iowa State is a tricky and plucky one and seven team. So <laughs> I. I I I think that they're gonna put up more of a fight than you know getting blown out, but. Yeah, mo- motivation is going to be tough. I will say that. Are your uh, Iowa State Cyclones rest in peace to Brocktober? Are they uh, are they the pluckiest one in seven conference team in the country? Of course they are. Absolutely they are. <laughs> I mean, if you want to make that case, they have the eighth best scoring defense and the hundred and tenth best <laughs> scoring offense. So there is if something. you really want to talk about that, they yeah. they just cannot play offense. They're great on defense. They just cannot score. They're lead it? on defense, and they and they can't put up points to play uh, play counteractive football. So yeah, it's the same same thing as their in state neighbors, right? I mean, what is in the water in Iowa where just everyone is allergic corn. to offense? Not offense, <laughs> yeah. corn, corn, <laughs> corn in the water. Well, they've got some fantastic corn. Not not such uh, fantastic progressive play calling, I guess. Um, I, I hate whichever one of you guys put this next game in the calendar. Why do we have to talk about this? Because they're um, a playoff contender. I know, I know. Contender. LSU goes to Texas A&M. The Bayou Bengals are 10-point favorites against the Aggies. Um, I'm surprised it's not more, to, to be quite honest. It opened at 8.5. Yeah, that's, I, I don't know if Vegas thinks that after beating UMass 20-3 to that the Aggies are going to – roll off something. But then again, we thought A&M beating LSU last year was a foregone conclusion and a beaten, battered, completely out of it. LSU team clinched bowl eligibility with an upset over Texas A&M. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, No real analysis here. Everybody's hurt for the Aggies. They don't know if several pieces like Evan Stewart are even going to be back. The offensive line has been beyond bad. And the defense, if you aren't suspended you're hurt at at some point right so lsu minus 10 um i I just i don't think that the aggies have anything more than a four and eight season left in them uh look my analysis here was lol um that's what i put in the show doc look a&m's beaten lsu twice now since joining the conference one of them was in the covid year in a rainy weird game when lsu was not very good whatsoever and the other one was at seven overtime thriller um LSU keeps just finding ways to beat AM when maybe AM should beat them. 
um, and they find ways to just hammer them when they're not supposed to. Uh, LSU is looking for a chance to bolster a playoff resume. They know that if they're going to get in with two losses in a conference championship, they have to look good doing it. Uh, yeah, this just this reads bloodbath. Um, AM is about as inept as you can get right now on offense. They, you know, worse than Iowa State, worse than Iowa. So, um, yeah, that, that's the analysis here. LSU is going to roll in this one. You guys are such two percenters. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to... No, LSU is going to roll in this one. Minus 10 seems like a pretty safe bet. I will say, I bet we see the old once or twice a year Jimbo puts motion in the offense, tries to pull out all the stops, and this will be AM's de facto bowl game. So whatever narrative you want to try to write, if you're an Aggie fan, to try to give you hope to tune into this game, go for it. But I will uh, not be joining you on that narrative writing process, and I'm going to expect LSU to win pretty comfortably. I'll I'll have to scoreboard watch. Thankfully, I've got a high school football playoff game to to go call, so I won't be able to just watch this game outright. So you know, if things get out of hand early, I, I've got an excuse. I'm driving back from Pflugerville. What else? What else am I supposed to do, right? <laughs> and to our Texas uh, or non-Texas listeners, that is Pflugerville with a P. So it's true. It's yeah. true. Yeah, if you want your word of the day, go look up Pflugerville, Texas. Little one of the one of the burbs around. Shout the out all of our fans down there in Pflugerville. And not a PH either. No, no yeah. PF. Um, yep. I, make that make sense. That's go ahead. PF Pflugerville. <laughs> all right, uh, let's move into the conference title races, and this is what we're really excited to get down to because, you know, the the playoff contenders overall outside of Michigan, Ohio State, not the biggest tests necessarily this week but this is what we've been building towards all season long acc title race is locked in north carolina clemson we've been talking about that for weeks i think we'll preview that when we get there the sec title is also locked in lsu with a massive upset over alabama they have punched their ticket to atlanta to take on the georgia bulldogs big 12 is where we start and this is where things start to get fun TCU is obviously in. We know that 11 and 0, one half of the purple out has punched their ticket. They will be in the 214. Uh Kansas Kansas State, the Sunflower Cup. That determines the second seed in I guess I said the 214. Technically Arlington. So is Arlington the 817? Better show some respect to Tarrant County over there. My, my, yeah, my apologies. My apologies. Uh Anyway, Kansas is 12-point dogs at Kansas State. I think having this in Manhattan really helps. Not that I necessarily think that Kansas is is going to upset Kansas State, but if this was on the road, I do think Kansas has a little bit of magic left to keep this close. So I'll take the Jayhawks to cover the 12-point spread, but I do think we get to play Prince next week when the Big 12 championship comes to Dallas. Purple Rain, Kansas State, TCU. And I am absolutely rooting for that. Look, I think Kansas State with Will Howard might be the undefeated purple team this year um, if they decided to run him all year and give him the chance to kind of be the quarterback in that spot. I, I'm taking the purple out in Jerry World. I think that this isn't particularly close. Kansas has been an awesome story. Seems like the magic is all but run out. Uh, yeah, give me Kansas State to cover this one. I loved rooting for this team all year. They're my darlings. They've smashed it. And uh, yeah, send them, to, uh, send them to Jerry World. I missed this and all the scoring excitement last week, but did Deuce Vaughn get hurt? Because I'm lo- I'm just looking through the box score, and he was not their leading rusher. He did get 22 attempts, but um, 
Not sure if he got hurt. I don't know if you guys saw anything about that, but I know he's been banged up a little bit this year with a healthy Deuce Vaughn. And yeah, like you said, Garrett Will Howard running, uh, calling the signals behind uh, center. I Yeah, I think Kansas State can score a lot of points on this porous Kansas defense. And Kansas is going to get up to play this one. They're definitely excited for their bowl game. They'd love to knock off their in-state rivals in the process, but the, the the only thing that gives me cause for pause on calling them to cover this spread is they will 100% know their fate um, playing this game in the Big 12 title game because if Texas loses on Friday, this game's not till Saturday night. So if Texas loses, Kansas State is in no matter what, and they might not pull out all the stops against Kansas. It, it's a rivalry game. They want to beat Kansas. They want to remind the Jayhawks that they still have a long way to go to catch up to them. But I don't know. 12 points might be a lot. I'll go ahead and pick Kansas State, but it's not with a ton of confidence. Yeah, I think the same. I think, and we're going to talk about that game right now, Baylor at Texas. Uh, That is a Friday morning kick. I do wonder if the motivation for Kansas State changes if all of a sudden you see a bunch of second and third stringers in the second half. I know it's a rivalry game, but at the same time, Kansas State has bigger fish to fry, right? If they get to Dallas... I wonder where you balance persuasively beating your in-state rival with competing for a Big 12 Conference Championship. So let's move into Baylor, Texas. Texas opens as eight and a half point favorites. It's an 11 a.m. game on Friday. ESPN is where you can find that. Texas is in with a win and a Kansas State loss. So after bludgeoning the Jayhawks, Texas would like to help them and encourage them to beat their in-state rivals so that the Longhorns can pull off one of the more improbable trips to Dallas to take on TCU. And boy, don't you know that Texas would love a rematch against the Horned Frogs after losing in Austin. I I don't know. I, I'm kind of in the same boat that I was with Iowa State. I Baylor's Super Bowl was last week, and they just had the rug pulled out from under them against TCU. They're on the road in Austin. This feels like there's way more riding for Texas than there is for Baylor. I would love for Baylor to keep this close, but I'm going to ride with the horns to cover the spread here. Take care of business on Friday and pray that Kansas is able to beat Kansas State. I'm going to take Baylor plus the eight and a half for a couple reasons here. I think Baylor's defense is going to cause Quinn Ewers some problems because Quinn Ewers has looked really good against kind of the same as Baylor's offense. Quinn Ewers has looked really good against the lower half of the Big 12 defenses and not so good against the more competent ones in the conference. And, you know, just look at the TCU game a couple weeks ago. Look at um, a couple other games throughout the conference schedule. Iowa State. A um, couple times, it's just reared his ugly head, and it's been against the competent defenses. There's also going to be like maybe 50,000 people in the stands for this one. 11 a.m. the day after Thanksgiving. Texas, yes, they're playing for a Big 12 title appearance, but the season's just not, still not quite up to the standards of it, what that fan base expects. And you talk about a deflating loss, that Texas setting an attendance record against TCU a couple weeks ago and then just absolutely not showing up on offense against TCU is really really deflating for that fan base so i'm expecting kind of a sleepy crowd maybe a slow start for both of these teams baylor just kind of lulls texas to sleep i think texas probably wins this game and makes kansas state win against kansas but i think baylor covers the eight and a half point spread and keeps us within one score also texas 
since they started in uh, inserting this like rotation of in-state rivals on the last weekend since Texas A&M left the conference, not the best track record against those teams. So well, that's true. Th- Thanksgiving weekend has not been kind to the Longhorns since A&M left the conference. No, that's that's fair. I, I do think the issue here with everything you said, I think that you're right about everything. The issue for me though is that Baylor just left everything on the field versus TCU, and they're going to have almost nothing. In terms of, you know, that emotional energy, that get up, that drive going into Austin. Yes, I know that it's Texas, but, you know, they wanted to win that game against TCU. They almost pulled it off, you know, like we said, down to that last second kick. And and if that goes the other way, they're celebrating. Um, I I just kind of think that Texas looking a lot better against Kansas. I know that they haven't been very good this last part of the season, have Kansas been, but Texas still looks pretty good. I think they'll finish the season strong. I think they will cover the eight and a half points, uh, but I just think they ultimately end up staying home since Kansas City will win that one. All right. Well, let's go out west, and USC is in. We we know this. Oregon at Oregon State, though, has tremendous implications. This was a weird game a season ago, a back-and-forth affair that Oregon State eventually uh, pulled out, if I'm not mistaken. They, the Beavers beat Oregon at some really weird times, whether they're, well, uh, the last couple of years they've been down. But Jonathan Smith has something cooking up there. The chainsaws are not the only things uh, cooking with, with gas. So Oregon State, only a three-and-a-half-point dog with Oregon coming to town, one of the best offenses in the country. Oregon doesn't have playoff aspirations anymore, but a trip to the Rose Bowl is still very much in play. Only three and a half point favorites. So Saturday, two thirty on ABC. Oregon is in with a win or a Washington loss. Where are you guys leaning here? Yeah, I think Oregon still has loads to play for here. I think that they're going to end up handling their business on the road um, to get to the Pac-12 championship game. They're still playing for a Rose Bowl, right? And again, like we said, without that game against you know Georgia at the beginning of the year, they're probably still looking at a playoffs opportunity. So. You know, do you do you hate it if you're Oregon that you have it, you know, break this way? Yeah, sure. Um, But you still have loads to play for. They got back on track last week against Utah, and I think they'll keep it rolling against Oregon State. Oregon State's my lucky dog of the week. I think they win this one outright and throw the Pac-12. That's that race for the second spot. They just throw it into complete chaos. And I'll explain the full chaos scenario here in just a second when we get to the Apple Cup. But. Oregon State is really good this year, guys. They, they, they've they struggled in their bigger games. I just think they're due for a victory in one of these more marquee matchups. And what better time than a rivalry game uh, in, in the Platypus Cup at home with your – they do have a half-full stadium right now because they're going through remodeling, but that place is going to be rocking, and it's always a really, really tricky place to play. So – Last time the Ducks came to Corvallis in 2020, they left with a last-second loss on a last-second field goal. I think it happens again. I think it's going to be a close back-and-forth game, and the Beavers find a way to pull it out. So give me the Beavers. Lucky dog of the week. Throw that Pac-12 race into chaos. I would love for that to be true. I Listen, I, I really enjoy what Dan Lanning has done in Oregon, especially considering what Cristobal is struggling with down in Miami. Landing feels like, you know, a, a very cut and dry kind of guy, a player's coach as well. I'm also rooting for Oregon State here. And so for that reason, I'm going to take the Beavers plus three and a half. You're right. I was thinking of their last trip to Corvallis, not last year. But yeah, the last trip to Corvallis, weird late night game. 
you had to stay up till like 1 a.m., 2 a.m. Central Time to finish it. It was just back and forth, and out of nowhere, Oregon State stunned Oregon. I think this one might be a little bit more wide open, but I'm going to take the Beavers to cover that spread. I don't know if they win outright, but gosh, I'm rooting for it to happen because I love what Jonathan Smith is doing. I would love for them to get some positive momentum and take that into recruiting season. They're the only team, uh, Power 5 team, since 2016 that has not recruited a four-star commit. So I'd love for that to change this, this season or after this season is over. A win in the Platypus Cup would go a long way to doing that. Trade the other half of the equation here, and I'll let you uh, chime in on on uh, Oregon, Oregon State one more time here. Washington, two-point favorites over Washington State. This is a late-night game on Saturday night. ESPN is where you can find it. Apple Cup has a lot of implications, as, as you wanted to talk about. Yeah, and one more thing on Oregon, Oregon State. Just wanted to shout out Ben Goldbranson for the Beavers because – He's a freshman that stepped in after chance uh, replacing Chance Nolan and just really been a steadying force for that Beavers offense. He doesn't turn the ball over very often. He's very efficient in passing the ball. Still kind of in the game manager portion of his career, but he's getting it done. And I, I think that could be enough. And Oregon, Bo Nix isn't healthy. We don't know if we'll see Ty Thompson or not at quarterback for Oregon. That's the other thing uh, to look out for in that one. But the Apple Cup, maybe the best-named rivalry in all of college football. I did my research on this, and I'm still a little bit confused on the scenarios, but Washington's in a really weird scenario. So for, first things first, they have to win against Washington State, which is, by all accounts, not um, a foregone conclusion. They're only two-point favorites going down to Pullman. Um, things get crazy on the Palouse, and we all know that, but... Step one is Washington needs to win, and then they need to root for several different teams. So in the old rules, if they won and Oregon lost, of course, they would be tied at 7-2. and two. Washington would have the head-to-head tiebreaker. They'd be going on to face USC. But in this new system, I think this is what we need to look out for when all these conferences shift away from divisions because it can create some really weird situations like this one. There's going to be three teams tied at 7-2, and two, and logically – what I would think you would do is look at the record amongst those three teams. They all uh, played at least one of the other ones. And then Washington would go because they were 1-0, Oregon was 1-1, and and Utah was 0-1. But that is not the tiebreaker. It is strength of record. And so there's another game that <laughs> that's gets factored into this, is assuming Utah beats Colorado, which I think is a very safe assumption at this point. UCLA and Cal then becomes the key game if there's a three-way tie. So. If Washington and Utah win, but Oregon loses, a Cal win would send Washington to face USC, while a USC, UCLA win would send Utah. So if Oregon loses and Washington wins, I don't know that there's a situation short of Colorado pulling a shocking upset that Oregon actually gets to go. I think they're the odd man out if I'm reading all these scenarios correctly, but they control their own destiny. If they can win against the Beavers, they're in. If they lose and Washington wins, then all sorts of craziness happens. So if you're an Oregon fan, just hope that you pull it out in Corvallis. So are you saying that there's a chance that the most important game in the Pac-12 this year is going to focus on Berkeley? Yeah, UCLA at Cal. Oh, could, no. Could end up being the most hey, that's, important game of the weekend. And it's That on, right there is some Shadow Realm stuff if I've ever seen it. Yeah, and it, it's on Friday at like, 3 p.m. local time so 
it's probably on the Pac-12 network. If you're not in the immediate Berkeley or Los Angeles area, I bet you don't get it on your basic cable. That's incredible. Either. So you're going to be finding like a bootleg radio stream or something like that. <laughs> well, if, hey, listen, if UCLA, assuming they still get approved by the Board of Regents, that is some Shadow Realm stuff. UCLA would join Correct. the Big West, right? So Correct. We're, yeah, the we're, Shadow we're right Realm on... is already creeping into UCLA. That's it, right. It's, 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 oh, it's no. <laughs> right right on track. The natural rivalries just are, are becoming very, very apparent. Maybe this made a lot more sense than we thought originally. What, are, what am I missing about this tiebreaker scenario, though? Because I get that, you know, the, the scheduling is still based on the divisions, but it really doesn't make sense to me to skip the head-to-head results. And if you look at the head-to-head yeah. results between the three teams, Washington has a perfect record. They didn't play Utah in the regular season. I guess that's what triggers it to a strength of record tiebreaker, but doesn't it make more sense to look at the head-to-head results before you look at teams that aren't even involved? It does, but this is the kind of shenanigans you get when you get rid of divisions and you just say, let's all play as one big conference and not worry about any sort of divisions or anything like that. This is this is what happens. You make up dumb rules and then someone says, wait, but I think it should be strength of schedule or I think it should be strength of record or I think it should be the head-to-head. So, you know, I, I can't complain too much because they're the ones who decided to mess up their divisions. I, I remember when they did this in the off season. I remember there was a lot of discussion about the funny tiebreaker. Uh, and I don't ever remember if there was really a resolution or, or full explanation as to why they've done this. But yeah, I, it, it doesn't, it's not going to sit right with me to be quite honest. If Washington doesn't get to go, if they, you know, assuming they win the apple cup, that, that would be a real bummer to me. I feel like it was just Pac 12 president going, ah, come on, that'll never happen. Well, and the fact that Utah is actually, more in the driver's seat and when you compare them against these two teams they have no wins like they, to me that should be like the lowest chance to go but they have you would it. think but ucla definitely should beat cal and if if chaos happens and washington wins and oregon loses then it, yeah utah would get to go and that just doesn't make sense to me but the game on the field washington washington state should be pretty entertaining it's going to be a late night game on saturday night i think michael Penix and that washington offense is way more potent than their counterparts from the cougars and cam ward the cam ward experience has just been Ugh. very disappointing for the yeah. cougars this year and i know mitch and i are very very upset about that uh, how that's taken root so i taking washington to win this game and maybe set off this chaos scenario that's the other part of this is that game, we won't know if this chaos scenario is taking place until like after 1 a.m. Central Time on Saturday night. So we're going to be waking <laughs> up on Sunday morning and finding out who's playing in the Pac-12 title game. Oh, you're saying you're admitting right now you're not going to stay up and crunch all the numbers? Come on, Trey, where's the dedication? I mean, listen, I've tried the last few weeks because there's been some really nice matchups in that late night window. Yeah, but there have. Sleep just always wins out for me, and I, I'm totally fine setting the DVR and figuring it out in the morning. That's that's fair. Well, speaking of, well, I don't know if you're going to have to set the DVR. I know there will be people in the Midwest that set their DVRs for some of these games, and viewer discretion is advised with <laughs> what could happen in the Shadow Realm. Uh, so we've got Nebraska at Iowa, Purdue at Indiana that we've got our eyes on specifically. I 
take it away, fellas. Like, describe the absolute beautiful mess that exists in the Shadow Realm and the different possibilities that we could have coming out of this weekend because it's very much like a choose-your-own-adventure novel. I mean, flip to page 47 for Iowa, flip to page 28 for, for Purdue. I mean, multiple options here. Look, guys, when we kicked off the Shadow Realm, and we said that this is what this conference is, and this is what this division is, and nothing makes sense, and up is down and down is up. This was what I was hoping for, right? There's going to be a team that has something worth winning, and they're not going to be able to pull it off. I copied my notes for each of these games, including the Illinois game, if both Purdue and Iowa end up losing. And I just said, there's no chance that a Big Ten West team with something worth winning will win because this is the Shadow Realm. So, you know, I, I've pretty much up to this point picked chalk i think you know in the big 12 i picked chalk i'm picking chalk to go down for for the pac 12 because this is where all the chaos has to be for this particular weekend of college football i i don't think any of this is going to go the way we want it to in terms of just being a an obvious finish um if you made me choose right if you're just saying you know you know gun to your head you have to put money on a game I think Iowa ends up winning this thing 5-3 with all safeties, uh, and, and then they just get destroyed by Michigan the week afterwards uh, where, where they have the two safeties and the one-point safety as well. Um, and then, you know, we'll see Nebraska kick a field goal somehow. I, I just think 5-3 is the most likely final score if they win. Uh, so I will not be taking them to cover 10.5 points. Uh, I wouldn't take Purdue to cover 10.5 points either in that case. So I just think this is chaos. Uh, I'll let Trey, if he wants to talk about the uh, the scenarios and the tiebreakers and whatever else. But I don't know if you have those ready because that's a lot more research that it, it might take, you know, years of university research to figure out. So I don't know. I'll hand it over to you to see what you want to do with that. I, I actually looked into it and it was a little bit more simple than I was expecting because Iowa and Purdue are both at five and three, Illinois, Minnesota, Wisconsin, all at four and four. And you would think, oh no, there's a legit situation where we have four, five and four teams. And in all actuality, there's only three teams still alive. It's Iowa, Purdue and Illinois, um, Wisconsin and Minnesota have both been eliminated because they need a four-way tiebreaker and neither one would win that four-way tiebreaker. So it, it all boils down to can Iowa beat Nebraska? Don't don't even look at the spread. We, we don't want to talk about the spread in this one. I, I, I agree with you. I'd take Nebraska to cover the spread because they too like to lose agonizingly close games. But if you're rooting for chaos, unfortunately you are rooting for Nebraska. And I just don't Yikes. know that even in the most chaotic shadow realm situation, Nebraska is immune to the shadow realm because they just always lose. So it, it, it's a situation where we're going to know that this is the reverse of the Pac-12. We're actually going to know very early on uh, who wins this division because Nebraska and Iowa play at like 11 a.m. on Black Friday. So if Iowa can even win by just one point or win in a five to three situation or just not lose to a hapless Nebraska team that is the epitome of one, two, three Cancun, um, then Iowa is going to be the sacrificial lamb. Now, if they figure out a way to lose and Purdue wins, Purdue's in. If both of those teams lose, if both of those teams lose, I should say, and Illinois can beat Northwestern, then Illinois actually has the best chance to get in in a three-team or four-team tiebreaker scenario. So Illinois needs a lot of chaos, a lot of magic to happen, and it's not outside the realm of possibility for the Shadow Realm, but I think I'm with you. I think Iowa 
as long as they just don't royally screw up against Nebraska, they get to be the sacrificial lamb. Now, Trey, I know that you said that you'd have to be rooting for Nebraska in this situation. I'm going to challenge that and say you also have to be rooting for Iowa, on the other hand. That's fair. This is the problem with the Big Ten West, is that you have to root for somebody at the end of the day, and none of these teams are reliable. So congratulations to all of the you know SEC and ACC teams who are going to get all of these teams in the bowl games, because you guys are going to have no issues, I'm sure, just you know wiping the floor with these teams that, that have, you know, through the whole season, failed to to step up and prove that they're worth, you know, very much as, as a program. So, you know, get better next year if you don't want us to talk about you like this, all of you. The problem with not rooting for Iowa is they've won seven straight against Nebraska, and Nebraska hasn't won since 2014. So, yeah. <laughs> it, it's sure. Just, I want chaos as much as the next guy, but I'm not confident we get it. I'm just so upset that uh, Illinois wasted their opportunity they had it. I, they absolutely had the Big Ten West, and they found a way to waste it and, and dribble it away. So I'm kind of mad at Burt Ball. It let us down late in the season. All right, uh, group of five conference title races. Um, uh, to whip you around very quickly, Mountain West is set. Fresno State and Boise State will play. Um, the on the second- Blue Turf. I don't think that that – I'm trying to remember the last time that that's happened, that the conference championship game was on the Blue Turf. But that yeah, well, fun. it's been a couple of years for sure. Boise State's had some – had some downtime, and they they might officially be back. Um, Trez, you know the second American team could come down to a computer ranking. Shout out the BCS. I, do you have a, a way that you kind of lean here, whether it's UCF, Houston, Cincinnati, Tulane loser? Like Houston did themselves a massive favor a week ago by bludgeoning East Carolina. They're suddenly back in it after having a hapless start to their season. Yeah, UCF and Houston both play – on paper at least, overmatched opponents this week. So you like to think that they'd be in this three-team tiebreaker with the Cincy-Tulane loser. And it, But if Houston loses and UCF wins, then uh, UCF, I think, is in because they have the tiebreaker over both Tulane and Cincy. So if Houston loses and UCF wins, UCF is in with the Cincy-Tulane winner. And if that doesn't happen, if everybody wins or everybody loses, then gosh, I have no idea what sort of computer algorithm they're having because I read this on paper. It's whoever uh, is ranked highest in the college football playoff, but all these teams lose this week. They're not going to be ranked in the college football playoff. So it's just literally going to be, let's spit all their resumes into a computer and see what comes out. Which is just, peak college football right i mean I that's what it. that's what makes this stupid little game so much fun I um, we had a coin toss to decide the auto bid and i think the ohio valley conference yep. and fcs last week and that was live streamed and viewed by thousands of people so we such such a disappointing call to he- uh, tails never fails and then just the moment of silence is its heads <laughs> they know they've lost the auto bid absolutely incredible um utsa will host either north texas or western kentucky i know locally we're certainly rooting for unt but also the hilltoppers have won the social media game this year so i'm not mad at whoever ends up getting into that game would absolutely love for rice to at least make it competitive against unt but i think the Owls bowl bid is is going to die here 
Ohio can clinch the MAC East with a win over Bowling Green, which, spoiler alert, I'm actually going to pick against Ohio coming up here in the ledger. Um, Bowling Green is in with a win and a Buffalo loss to Kent State, which, as improbable as it sounds, Buffalo hasn't exactly taken advantage of some opportunities here in this season. That is on Tuesday night. So when you listen to this podcast, we're releasing it early. Not that early, though. That game will be decided. Uh, tune in. You know, I mean, this is what your last week to tune into action, right? So I hope you tune in, enjoy that time. Uh, it, it is a, a limited time event, right? And then since in uh, what is this, the Sun Belt, since James Madison is ineligible, which absolutely sucks. Coastal has already clinched the Sun Belt East. It's Troy that's in the driver's seat for the Sun Belt West. They beat Louisiana a couple of weeks ago. It certainly feels like the, uh, that, that Troy is going to salt that away. They need to beat Arkansas State to, to just make things simple and clean and get that in. Any thoughts as we race through those? I know we're coming up on, on time here. Still have some other games to get through. But anything that stands out from the group of five? We've beaten the James Madison rule to death. Um, the Sun Belt could still let them play in the conference title game. I don't know why the Sun Belt is saying no to that, but James Madison is actually 15-point favorites over Coastal this week, even yes, though Coastal are. has uh, clinched the East, even if they lose this week and have the same record as James Madison. So obviously Coastal has a lot of injuries, and Grayson McCall being out for the rest of the regular season is just tragic for them. but. Yeah, uh, James Madison, I would love to see them have an opportunity to earn it, but they're going to treat this like their bowl game this week. And I think I said that against Louisville, and it did not work out very well for them. But round two, fake bowl game round two, I think that they get it done against Coastal. But Coastal gets to play for uh, either Troy or South Alabama is actually the other team that's still alive on the West. So consolation well, prize for the Chanticleers as well. Yeah, exactly. That's That's exactly what I was getting ready to say. All right, well, obviously it's rivalry week, so some other games that you absolutely must at least check the score on, tune in, flip over for five minutes. You're bound to see something crazy. Let's hit it with some one-liners here on each of these games. You've got the Egg Bowl, Mississippi State at Ole Miss. The Rebs are two-and-a-half-point favorites after getting obliterated a week ago at Arkansas. This is Thanksgiving night, so prime TV window if you don't care about the NFL game that night. I'm going to roll with Mississippi State here. I, I think something might have been broken last week. It certainly wasn't the Ole Miss offense. They, they had over 700 yards. But I do wonder if Mississippi State can jump up on the road, cause a little chaos, give me the Pirate uh, to beat Ole Miss, send Lane Kiffin to Auburn on a sour note. Yeah, you. I guess read my notes too. It, it seems to be about a carbon copy. It, you know, please don't fake dog piss on the field again in this one. I got to watch that one in the snow in New Mexico, so that was kind of fun. Um I think Leach gets a very unmotivated Ole Miss team, uh, and, and they're just kind of ready to send uh, Lane Kiffin on to Auburn, and they'll see him next year, but not at the same stop. So, yeah, give me Mississippi State outright in this one. Yeah, we talked a lot about teams with nothing to play for. Ole Miss, do they have anything to play for other than a rivalry game? I think Mississippi nope. State is the more Maybe motivated. bowl seating. Bowl seating, yeah, but, okay, it's Music City Bowl versus Outback yeah. Bowl. Okay. Um, that's not even the Outback Bowl anymore, so I don't know why we care if we get to go there. But, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you guys on Mississippi State. I think that they win this one outright. And, fortunately, uh, if you're looking for some reason to pick Ole Miss, the, the dog peeing incidents typically only happen in Stark Vegas. So that that should balance that out. But, yeah, Ole Miss just looks like they don't care anymore. And if you read their Twitter, they seem like they're ready to just 
kick Lane out practically for just even flirting with Auburn. So I'm going to take Mississippi State. Out in the Carolinas, you got NC State at North Carolina, who just wet the bed against Georgia Tech. I'm still not over that. Tar Heels are six and a half point favorites. Um, NC State's not good without Devin Leary. They don't have an offense, so probably give me the Tar Heels here. Yeah, I, I don't believe in the Tar Heels after what just happened, but I don't believe in the Wolfpack more. So <laughs> give me UNC minus six and a half here. I'll take the Wolfpack to cover the spread, but UNC will win this game by about three or four points. Okay. All right. Fair enough. That's uh, you, you sound very, very confident in that. I'm, I'm curious, like why, why in your mind or how does UNC not cover this spread? Is it NC State's defense that holds them or do they find a way to score points in a rivalry game? Well, I, I think it's a little bit of both. I think the NC State defense is still really, really good. The Tar Heels obviously just had their big deflating loss last week, but North Carolina also likes to play really, really close games. I'm pulling up their game, uh, pulling up their, trying to pull up their record against the spread this year. And I I don't think it's very good. Um, They like to play really close games and uh, they're five and five against the spread. So not as bad as I thought, but certainly not a lock to cover the spread against a really good defense and rivalry game. That's fair. That's fair. Down in the Sunshine State, Florida at Florida State. The Knolls are nine and a half point favorites. My darling, looking for their ninth win on the season. This is a Friday night game as well. I mean, the Seminoles are the home team. Florida has lost to Vandy. They've not looked good on defense really at any point since maybe the Utah game at the very beginning of the season. I think the Knolls have more to play for. Uh, their their program is more on an upward trajectory, I think, than Florida is. Ten points is a lot, but the Knolls are at home, so I'm gonna I'm gonna rock with the Garnet and Gold. Give me my darling to cover that spread, win a rivalry game. Yeah, I I think I'm with you. I I'm on the Florida State bandwagon now, after not being there to start the year. This is actually when I picked them to lose in the preseason, but. Yeah, they, they've just been on a roll lately, and they I think they continue that and just cement themselves as the top program in the state currently. Yeah, Florida, definitely not what they thought they would be, maybe preseason, maybe a little bit closer to what we were expecting. But, um, you know, Seminoles, they're at home, best team in the state this year, if you ask me. Um, and, and I think they're going to go ahead and finish this one out in a rivalry game. So, yeah, give me FSU minus nine and a half. Why on earth is Kentucky favored against Louisville? They're three and a half point favorites. I'm going the other way. Give me the Cardinals, the way better offense to win in this game. I will not pick my ex, even if it means picking the Wildcats. So uh, yeah, Kentucky minus three and a half. <laughs> I, uh, gosh, Kentucky just seems to have Louisville's number though, especially under Mark Stoops. And I don't know if you guys saw, they extended Mark Stoops today, I believe. And the Kentucky fan base is starting to turn on him a little bit. I, the, the takes that I saw weren't the happiest about that. I they have expectations. Say, that's an interesting extension. Yeah, and listen, Kentucky, like I said, they've won three in a row. They've won four out of the last five. The Stoops era, they've done really, really well against uh, Louisville. So I, I'll just I'll say they keep it rolling. I'll say they get one last good win and ease those tensions a little bit about that contract extension. I'm not really worried about that contract extension at Kentucky. I do think for the first time, finally, they do have expectations for that football program. And look, it's it's not gone according to plan. This was a team that was thought to have a chance at a 10, maybe even 11 win season if you squinted right. And obviously that has not come to fruition. But 
Kentucky's going to be fine. Look, your quarterback just hasn't been good this year. He's been hurt. Your offensive weapons have not played all that well. You didn't have Chris Rodriguez for the first quarter of the season. So, listen, get some more continuity. They won all the games in the first quarter. I mean, that's that's very bad competition, right? But still, uh, you know, they 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 were winning, which I think Kentucky fans would would take wins over losses at any point. Uh, finally, Can I share a really fun uh, Winsipedia stat from this sure. rivalry really quickly. Louisville did not score on Kentucky until 1994. They started playing in 1912. Whoa. Are you serious? Now, it's very cherry-picked because they didn't play between 1924 and 1994. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I was like, how did they not score once in like 70 years? They didn't, and neither team scored. I mean, I guess, well, you know, yeah. Yeah, neither team scored in seven. Louisville played just as good on defense for those 70 years. (laughs) Uh, Last game to talk about is Auburn at Alabama, the Iron Bowl. The Tide are 21.5-point favorites, and this will be Saturday afternoon on CBS. I think I've got to take Auburn just for the fact that that's a large number in a rivalry game. It doesn't matter how bad Auburn tends to be. They compete in this game. They almost knocked off Alabama last year, and they sucked. So give me Auburn to cover the spread. Alabama wins, but uh, I think War Eagle keeps it close. Yeah, I know Bama's down this year. I know that Auburn's, you know, they're looking resurgent under Cadillac Williams. I know the game's always competitive. Roll Tide, Bama minus 21 and a half. I I just think they're going to be able to get this one right at home. Yeah, I'm going to take Auburn as well. I think that they like to play this one close, even when they have no business playing it close. And yeah, just the vibes are really high with Cadillac Williams right now. And I think he's going to have those guys fired up. Tell you what, uh, I know that Lane is probably about to steal his job, but gosh, I love that fit for Cadillac. He's got the guys playing hard for him. I feel like we say that a lot about a lot of interim coaches with former players or guys that have been in the program a long time, but they're playing differently than they were under, um, and I've already forgotten his name, Brian Harson. Yeah, absolutely. They, they look like a completely different team. They look motivated and just a really fun story. I hope they're able to keep him on staff because he, he's certainly given that program his all, and he deserves at least a look at some, some role. And if they don't keep him, if Lane, if it is Lane, I'm not fully convinced that Lane Kiffin is going to go to Auburn, but, if it is Lane Kiffin and he doesn't keep them on staff, I think that's a huge, huge first mistake for him. I mean, I personally just can't believe Mitch forgot who Brian Harson was. Listen, I, I'm just ahead of the curve <laughs> for what a man. lot of Auburn fans wishes. He is could. legendary. He had a legendary top nine wins list, okay? Oh, that was that was a tough graphic. All right, let's wrap it up here with the ledger. Um, Garrett, I'll let you go first here as we wrap this up. Our, our final time, I think, to at least in the regular season to do it. I'm sure right. we'll do some sort of bowl edition of the ledger, but take us away. Yeah, so uh, I decided to go back to something that's been helping me through the year. Uh, so, Mitch, I'll start with you. I'm taking Duke plus three and a half against Wake. This is my last chance to go back to the well with the Blue Devils. And I'm going to go for it. I, I don't know how they're necessarily dogs in this one. Maybe, you know, riding a little bit low off of a, of a disappointing outcome. But I, I'll still take them plus three and a half against Wake, who just they, they haven't been very good whatsoever. Uh, and Trey, against you, I'm going to take LSU minus 10 against AM. We clowned this game a little bit during the show. I, I just think that they need a resume boost and a tune-up, and I'm not going to believe in AM this year. So those are my two ledger picks to close it out. 
Texas A&M is the 12th worst team against the spread. Uh, 12th from the oh. bottom. Uh, worst team against the spread this year. So That is horrifically... So they're the 12th man from the bottom? That's what yes. I was going to say. Okay, I just wanted to check. Horrifically on brand. Uh, Trey, you get to be an Ohio Bobcat fan, which is maybe a good place to be. That's the favorite to win the, the Mac East. They've been looking really good. Curtis Rourke, uh, what they call him, the Maple Missile, has played really well at quarterback. But this is Bowling Green's chance to not only keep their own hopes alive at making it to Detroit, but really ruin what's been a very solid season for a rival. I'm going to take Bowling Green plus the six and a half. I think it's closer than that. Garrett, I'm going to give you Rice here. UNT's only a 13 and a half point favorite. I don't know that the Owls have the horses to compete with UNT, so I'll take the mean green as they uh, look to solidify their Conference USA championship slot, say that five times fast, against UTSA. I think, Garrett, we get to both be fans of really fun marching bands this week. That is uh, true. He said that. And, and the mob, they're both very fun. You know, Mitch said that he didn't know that Rice had the stuff to keep up. I know for a fact that they don't, so I'm not a huge fan of this one. But, you know, that's okay. We'll we'll have to root against the mean green for a week. I bet UNT Rice is a really fun halftime show if both of them bring their bands. But I oh, digress. for sure. Uh, I'll go into my ledger picks. I won't band nerd out uh, anymore. Uh, Mitch, you get to be a Texas State Bobcat this week. I'm going to take Louisiana minus five and a half as they are fighting for bowl eligibility in San Marcos. Um, Texas State has already been eliminated from bowl eligibility, so I think the That's what are we playing tweet. for here narrative, uh, Louisiana wins that pretty handily. And then Garrett, throw up the U, baby. You are taking Miami. I'm going to take Pitt minus six and a half uh, in Coral Gables. And Miami also fighting for bowl eligibility, but I don't think they get there in year one under Mario Cristobal. No, they do not. I'm I'm with you right there. I think Pitt finds a way to have some positivity there at the end of the year. I mean, Miami, goodness, guys, like just wrap it up, pack it up, yeah. pack it in. That's uh, what they're going to be doing. That's... Yeah, Miami been terrible off this back half, especially. So, <laughs> not thrilled about that one. No, definitely not. All right, guys. Well, let's wrap it there. Rivalry week. It is the best weekend in all of TV. Uh, coming up, if you are a sports fan, just enjoy with us. Head on over to our Twitter and Instagram page and relive, or live, I should say, all the action with us. And uh, have a happy Thanksgiving. Wishing that to you and yours uh, from the 3 Tech family. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. For Trey Reeves and Garrett Turney, I'm Mitch Mason. Until next time, so long, everybody. <laughs>